Hello, everyone. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Career Mode podcast. I have with me uh, Costas. Well, <laughs> the, the problem starts here with, with your surname. Uh, well, I, I think it's better that you say it. Can you do it? <laughs> okay, okay. It's Kalogeropoulos. Okay, perfect. So you go for, for anyone that has a question like me. That's how you say it. Uh, Costas, so, so good to have you here. Uh, we've been uh, in contact for a while, and especially on Twitter, you've been a great share of our game. And um, let me, so we start by that. So you're a basketball coach with a lot of experience. Can you tell us how uh, it all started, your journey in, in Greece and where you are right now? First of all, thank you, Diogo, for inviting me for this podcast. I really like to have always interaction with coaches uh, worldwide. I really appreciate your work and your Twitter <laughs> posts, <laughs> you know that. And I'm really like, glad that in this pandemic situation, a coaching opportunity has risen, you know, from social media. And so that the, the love of the game and sharing the game and ideas and concepts and drills, it's really, really nice to spread. And uh, it doesn't have to be like uh, you, you pay for anything. Yeah. Because you need to you need to interact and uh, have opinions and have different views, and you always get better by doing that. Sure. So, sure. about the about coaching, I was like uh, 18 years old, and uh, I was aiming for the University of Athens, the physical physical education department of uh, Athens University, and I got that. And after 2003, I graduated uh, with uh, advanced basketball. Uh, course uh, fulfilled. I started uh, going to coaching clinics and seminars in Greece and in the and in abroad. And uh, I started working for basketball academies like under six, under eight, under ten years old, mainly boys teams. And uh, I always played like from 12 to 26. I played the game in local leagues in Greece. I was a semi-pro player. Not really big, not really, not, really, not really fast, not really that good shooter to play pro. But I really love the game. I only wanted to study the game more uh, than a player could do. So coaching was like uh, a passion for me because I didn't have the, the opportunity and the skill, of course, to play pro and to go pro as a coach. And uh, after seven or eight years working for several academies in Athens, and gaining experience and going into clinics every season, uh, I started contacting and uh, promoting myself through a cycle of people to have an opportunity to go to the upper level. So I got an opportunity to go for a, a, a men's team in local league, for a historic team. And we promoted to D4, that's a national league in Greece, like, like Serie C in Italia or in Spain, the third division. Uh, Tercera, I think yeah. it's, it's called Tercera Division. And uh, that's why my journey started working as an assistant coach for pro teams. I have worked as head coach in local leagues. I have some success, but I prefer to be in a higher level as an assistant because I started at first experimenting around 2010 with scouting and uh, stats analysis. And that was one of my tools, one of my weapons to promote myself to other coaches, head coaches, to call me and have me as their assistants. So the last 11 seasons, I worked for D3 or D2 teams in Greece as a first assistant coach or second assistant coach, 
Of course, I do the work in the, the on the court, like uh, shooting drills, like uh, individual drills, like warm-ups, like everything the coach assigns me to do, organize the defense. And of course, I'm all in, in all the meetings before and after the games to discuss strategy and how do we play against a certain opponent. And I keep doing the scouting process. And indeed, too, we have stats coverage by National Federation. And I do the advanced statistics to reveal the game a bit, a step bit more, like how are we doing in our possessions game on four factors and how our opponents do that. And uh, I have ended now being 41 years old and having uh, a really good bio. And of course, uh, we say in Greece, uh, there's a saying that the enemy of, of good is better. So I need to improve myself one step more and try with my team now, Triton BC, to promote in D1 and go full pro in Greece and face that competition with the biggest names in our in our country. And uh, this journey, of course, is not easy. You have to compromise some things. You have to be able to find time, even at night, even at early morning, to do the scouting and do the analysis, and then on the court, and then on meetings. And if you have a family like me with three kids, it's not like that easy anymore. <laughs> In the past seasons, it was easier. Now it's not that easy, but uh, okay, we'll find a way to, to solve it the next two or three years for a little girl to, to get okay. to get older. Well, and uh, it's it's always a challenge. And I my saying is that to younger coaches, try to work as you are you are already in the next level. Work better than the level you are, in order to improve and get to the next level. Sure. Well, that's the great advice already. And uh, well, you you say you don't have that, that much time now, which I totally believe. But still posting mm -hmm. a lot and also sharing, as you said, you know things for for free for everyone to improve. And and that's really great to see. And but I, I was going to ask you because there is a slight uh, you know asterisk in your bio, which we were talking just before we started recording that you were with the D2 team of Olympiacos last season yes. and you got promoted. So a totally different setup from you know, what we are used to. The, so the same club had two teams, one playing EuroLeague and the other playing D2. So how was the process of that season of working in that kind of setup? It was good for the coaching staff for the D2 team because we didn't have any pressure from the EuroLeague team, of course. That was the whole point. We have really young talents because we have recruited the first season like 2019 to 2020, two seasons ago. We've recruited some really good talents and the target was to be really competitive the first season, to have like four or five experienced D2 players and in, our, in our team. And then the rest, seven or eight spots, were really talented players like 18 to, to, to 10 years old, not, not older. And the target was dual competitiveness because we are Olympiacos, we need to be really competitive on the court and to gather wins. And then to grow the talent through practice and games to, to have them exposed in a pro environment, playing against experienced players in Greece and let them grow their talent and be better and improve maybe for a contract next season with the, the first team, the pro team. Because of COVID, of course, on February 2020, the season stopped and we are like in fourth place just the two wins behind the first place. And Federation decided that because the championship wasn't uh, wasn't going to continue, 
to promote the first team on the table. And that was, it was the right thing to do at the time because one, one team had to be promoted for the first division to be complete, to have 14 teams. Next season, we had uh, changed some experienced players, Greeks. We have only four, and we have brought some younger players. And uh, we kept, of course, our core of our young guys. Most of them played for a national under-18 team, and now they play for national under-19 team. And uh, the second season was completed after a six-month break, due to COVID, of course. And we played a fast-paced league, like 24 games in two months and a half. We played Wednesday, Saturday, and again, and again, and again. And because I was the only assistant uh, coach doing the scouting process and the stats, I was on a laptop or on a desktop all the day, all the time. Uh, I managed to do everything on time, even in the final second, yeah. like a call on the middle of the night, 2 a.m., where's the video? I need the video for tomorrow's game. Okay, coach. I said it now, enter. <laughs> <laughs> I did that uh, and that was really tough because you, when you play when, when, twice a week, okay, one week, two weeks, but more than that, it's really, really, really difficult to do. Okay, and to focus and to do that properly because when you do the scouting process, you need to find the play calls. That's a play call one. That's a play call horse two. What's the action? What were they trying to target? The low post, the pick and roll. What's the players that execute that? Do they do that for a certain player, for a shooter, for a low post guy? And you have to do that and to do to, to show that info to the head coach. It's not that you yeah. just draw yeah. the plays, you know, in a program and then you print it and it's called one coach. Okay. Okay, it's called one. Okay, I see it's a horse flex. Okay. Who they played for? Yeah, so there is like, like it's a pro team. You don't, you, not, not development team like under 18, under 16. They they pass the ball around and which, whichever whoever is open, okay, I'll take a shot. No, yeah. so you have to yeah. do you have to do that, and that's the, the problem with scouting in pro level. You have to be ready to focus on the details. Yeah. And of course, yeah. there's the defense. What defense they play on pick and roll, on low post? Do they press? Do they play zone press? Do they switch on zone? So you have to be really detailed. That's the problem with the pro and the semi-pro level in some countries, because you have little details, you have to be focused and not mix it up. I have made mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. That's mistakes when they work, like uh, showing play one and it's the clip of the play two. <laughs> yeah. We all will, everyone will, will do that once per 10 videos. Yeah. That's a good analogy, believe me. <laughs> but so we promoted second season and then uh, then the team uh, uh, we, we promoted us second because we lost a crucial game against the first team in Patras like in the last seconds okay but we promoted in the playoffs so our goal was accomplished and then uh, two of our guys our guards 90 year olds are give uh, are, have been given as loanies to d1 teams to play and get experience and uh, you go. Can we pause this for for a second? Sure. Yeah. I have, to, I have to answer. And so the well, but the next question I was going to to ask you is: uh, so you were in a D two team and you had to change, of course, the squad. And as you said, it's a lot of young teams, a, a lot of young players. So how yeah. did you how did you manage that? Because you, for sure, as you said, the the and we spoke as well before. 
the amount of video and detail you you have to give to those players especially the ones that the max they did was under 18 national team how do you manage that within a team and within a season the focus of our coaching staff was to teach them how to defend some situations and some players like he's a three-point specialist how do you defend that okay. he's a low post threat how do you defend that he's a guy that and he wants to run transition and find the long pass, the baseball pass. How do you defend that? And uh, our challenge was big because we played five young players a lot, like 20 to 25 minutes, because they were skilled and our second target, of course, uh, except for promoting, was to give them experience and playing time to do their mistakes, of course, but to show their skills. And three of them really were really, they were really good at leading our team. Two of them were like role players, like 10 to 15 minutes, but they were good also. They helped us a lot. So they grew uh, their talent. They played a lot. And the challenge was like, this player is like 35 years old. He plays in D2 like 15 years. He's maybe one of the top five scorers the last 10 seasons. And they were like, who is he? I don't know him. <laughs> so we have to, have to, to show them how he's moving on the court, how he's grabbing other uh, defenders' arms to gain a foul, how he's flopping or not, how he drives, how he sweeps the ball and tries to uh, get by you, how he gets position for offensive rebound. Because the four guys we have with experience in the two, they already knew that. Yeah. They were like, in repeat, okay, we know about that guy, okay. Show us five clips, to, okay, to get us on our mind again. Don't, don't get him. Don't let him go right, okay? Watch in the low post. Watch his hand because when he sweeps the ball, he does like that to get your arm, you know, like in the air. And then the ref gets fouled and gets two free throws easily. It was difficult for the young guys because we want them to play an aggressive type of play. When you have young guys, for us was, you know, obligatory to play a spread out man-to-man -man press, some zone presses to get them really active because they're energetic. They're full of energy. They want to run. They want to press. Not to be pathetic, like they're 35 years old, they're 18, 19. But that was contradictory to the image of some opposing players with a big, with an older age, want to play the game slow, want to gain fouls from contact. And there was a battle every time. But coach, you want me to defensively press him. And he always gaining fouls. And you, go, and, and you say, don't give him fouls. Mm -hmm. So you have to be clever, you have to adapt. And after, after 10 or 12 games, they started adapting and uh, committing less fouls and playing better defense, most smarter defense, of course, yeah. with aggressiveness. And uh, the whole experience was really, really nice for all of us, for the players and the staff. It was a really big challenge. And yeah. uh, it didn't, it didn't, the, the two targets completed in a, a really big, big grade for us to be. Yeah. And the administration really rewarded us. Uh, not only by words, <laughs> because we did the job as they wanted to do it. We maybe didn't win the championship because Olympiacos needs to win. You know that all the big clubs need to win. But we fell short for like two minutes of good defense. Okay. Yeah. We are a younger team, less experienced. Okay. We yeah. did our best. Okay. But it was really less experienced. And in Olympiacos, the biggest thing is that you're always, you're always in contact with the first team. If you want to attend the practice, just have permission from the coaching staff, and they say, okay, you can you can be there on Tuesday's practice, on Monday's practice. 
and you go there and you attend the practice. And you can take some notes if you want, in quiet, in the corner. So I have attended many practices of Coach Barzokas. And before Coach Barzokas, he was Coach Blatt and Coach Kemzura, assistant of Coach Blatt. And I have watched many practices. And that's a really good experience to see practice of uh, EuroLeague team, of course. Before game day, after the game day, mid, uh, mid-week, because they, then they do the, the more interesting stuff as a coach, you can see, and all that. And so, and uh, I was going to, because you mentioned that you started or you get got in touch with the scouting in 2010. So I'll just come back a little yes. bit there. And uh, I mean, f- I imagine with so much experience and, and with the process that you have uh, of doing the scouting, what have been the most, I mean, how much have you improved? I mean, I assume a lot, of course, when, when you first start is always hard, but at the same time, looking back now, how do you compare your scouting report now compared to 10 years ago? 10 years ago, I was an amateur. I was experimenting. I was working with a Word document, which is really, really fair to do. I have seen really good scouting reports from pro assistant coaches in one in Greece, working with Word documents. It's really, really nice. You don't need to, to buy something else outside of Microsoft Office. If you can do that and organize that through Word or Excel, and you can do a really good pro work, clean work with the characteristics, the player photo and the stats and all that, you're okay. You don't need to buy any other programs. And they have seen some works, but the video is a more challenging stuff because the video is something a coach does by himself. Uh, independently, if you go, if you work with uh, Nero Video, Adobe Premiere, After Effects, everything you want, or Filmora on any, any program you work, it all boils down to the methodology because you have to be in communication with the head coach. For instance, I would like my team video for an opponent we play on Saturday to be like that. Fast break players. You have early runners or a three-point shooter or an early seal player. That's the first uh, you know, section. Then traditional action. They have double drag, single drag. They have you know, Euro ball action. And then you have the set plays. The set plays is always a big um, debate. Some coaches, head coaches, want to go by how often they play. I want the own the five plays they play most, independently if they are low post plays, picker plays, or shooters plays. I don't care. Okay. Some okay. say you have to be able to go like that. The three picker plays they play in the first section of the video, like the sets, because I want to talk for the pick and roll defense of our, our team only once. Then, if they have low post plays, the two or three low post plays they most play after the pick and roll, to talk about low post defense only once. And then they have shooters plays at the end. So that's another methodology of uh, the focus of the players. Pick and roll defense for two minutes, low post defense for two minutes, shooters defense for one minute and 30 minutes, 30 seconds. And then out of bounds, special plays, okay, attention to that, we're going to switch that, etc., etc. And then there's the defense, transition defense. Do they have good transition defense? Or who can hit him? Who can hit them in that run and make easy baskets because they're older, they have big bodies, etc., etc. Then, of course, an image of man-to-man defense. Do they press and they deny the first entry passes? Do they press uh, three quarters, four quarters, man-to-man? Do they trap? Do they play zone press? And then half-court, defensive pick and roll, 
how do they defend side, heads, etc. And then a low post. Do they allow the pass like three quarters bottom, three quarters stop? Do they front the post? So we need to have a player flash to the high post to make a triangle like from the corner or from the elbow, okay? Do they trap in the post? Do they trap from the face? Do they trap from the wing? Do they trap? And all that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm analytical. I'm analytical. I know that, but that's my my thought process. So you have to be able to be communication. Some head coaches uh, want really short edits. Like I want you to have a team opponent's video like six minutes, not more. Put only six plays. They play most one clip of each play. If they have a second option of of, of the same play, put a second clip. Transition. They have three players that may have may have scored a three-point shooter or a driver. Put one clip of, of one of them. And then defense, one clip of defense, man-to-man, one of zone if they play, and then on picker on a low post, two or three clips. And that's about six minutes. Because every clip is about 15 to 20 seconds. If you gather up, okay. And they say, I need short videos, focused videos with detail, and I don't want... 10 plays because they don't they won't remember the plays. Yes. Some coaches say I want 10 plays. It's a communication with head coach and assistant coach. There's not right or wrong. It's about how you do you sell it to your players. But of course, anything above 10 or 11 minutes, of course, is gonna get a little boring for the players okay. continuously. And, and so and one question. So I'm, I'm hearing. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. <laughs> no. So on that process of of uh, making the uh, or gathering the video, do you so do you watch the games? You, you mentioned before you do uh, usually three games uh, to yes. of the previous uh, played games from that team. And do you go directly from watching the games, cutting the clips to the players, or is there a process of first the head coach have to see all of maybe the 20 minutes of the of clips mm -hmm. and then go to the players? How does it work? Uh, at the same time I'm watching a game, I'm cutting the clips. So I'm watching the game, the jumble, and then the first position, okay. I see the call, maybe it's a horns, okay. I start cutting the clip, and the clip, okay. I note the play, and then next clip, maybe defense, and I cut the, the clips. The same time, I firstly see the game. I don't see the game once, And then I'm starting cutting clips because I don't have the time to do so. <laughs> uh, I do the same thing for the three games. Then I have a folder for each team, of course, and I have all the clips. I name every clip. Like I cut a clip and say play, horns, uh, three-pointer, costas. Yeah. Uh, then defense, pick and roll, flat. And I call that way. So I name every clip. I can be really, I can be really quick in writing with a keyboard. <laughs> I'm really used to it so much years, so many years. So I name every clip. So I, I really don't have to rewatch any clip because I have a, a really good description in like five or five or six words in every clip. Then I have from three games, I've, I've probably have, I'll probably have around 200 clips. Of course, I won't put all of them. Because we're going to be a half an hour video. Then it's the quality process. I'll have a horn set like 10 times in, in three games because they will play it three or four times a, a game. It's a common set. So I will choose the clearest image for our players to see. 
when they played well and they targeted maybe a shooter, a low post player, etc. And the option is clear for them to see. I won't show a play, a set play that the action was broken or the ball fumbled on a foot or there's an early foul. That's not 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 really good material to to show. And uh, and then at the same time, I'm cutting the clips for the team. If I'm the coach assigned for the individual video too, because uh, in our team decision, we have two assistant coaches, the other coach has the assignment of making the individual player video. Okay. But that's the first time, uh, only that's not the second time I do that. The other eight seasons, I did the individual player video too. So at the same time, I'm cutting clips for the team video. I'm cutting clips for the individual player video too. Shorter clips, like 10 seconds, like the action and then the, the execution. A drive, a low post move, or a shot. And I named that, like player Costas, three-point pull-up. Costas, pick and roll, kick out. So I don't have to rewatch every clip. I know what's inside. I'm doing as much as I, as I can to save time. Believe me, it's, it's really, really challenging. <laughs> and then when we're doing the edit, the montage, and we say in French, <laughs> Um, I have already pre-made a screen, intro screens, and I upload that like 10 seconds in the program. And then I, I import all the clips I have chosen for fast break, set plays, defense, and all that. And I put it in the order me and the head coach have agreed to show. And then there's the quality control. I have seen 10 clips of Horn's plays. I don't import, of course, the two or three that good and bad. And if there's the same image, like a horns flex, and then screen the screener and a three-point shot, I don't put the same image. I put only one, only one clip of that. And the other, I keep it as a file, maybe for the second round. Okay, you don't know what, what you want to need in the future. You don't know that. Maybe I extract an individual a clip from that play. Yes. For a player, for a shooter, for instance. So that's the process we do. And we focus on uh, the things I told you just before, like fast break, transition actions, set plays. We do that uh, this season. We do that with uh, how much, how often a team plays a play. So we put like six or seven plays, the most plays by uh, frequency. Yeah. And then we go to out of bounds plays, sideline if they play out of bounds uh, baseline, and then with the defense. And it's about 10 to 11 minutes the team plays, and the same amount of time is for the individual players' video to show. And we we do like that this season. We show a video of a game flow, like eight to nine minutes game flow from the last play, from the last sorry, from the last game mainly of the game of play. We show that on Tuesday. Then on uh, Thursday we show the team opponents' video, like the plays and transition defense. Friday, we show the opponent's players' video, the tendencies, their skills. If they are, you know, weak on defense, of a big guy slow, and we can, in a switch, we can play one-on-one -on -one with a boomerang pass and then attack him. Sure. And then we are ready for the game. And then after the game, because we play on Saturdays, after our day off on Monday, we show a game feedback video, which is the self-scout process. Yeah. What did you do well? What did you do wrong? Yeah. <laughs> The, a whole so, so four videos per week. Yeah, so this a whole is different uh, topic there. But now I wanted to ask you, so where, because you mentioned as well advanced stats and how much you like yeah. it and, and 
how much is unique also in your league that not everyone does yeah. it. So where do you incorporate the advanced stats in the middle of everything? And maybe also just for anyone, because I think there is a, we call it advanced stats and many people don't know necessarily what it means. Yeah. So could you first explain that and then go through your process? Okay. Advanced stats are the extracts of the basic stats. Basic stats, of course, is points, rebounds, steals, field goals, turnovers, etc. So if you combine these, you get some advanced stats. Let's say if you want to see uh, all of your shots, like two pointers and three pointers, you're going to see the effective field goal percentage. So this shows how effective is your team by shooting the ball. Of course, the layups, the low push moves, the dunks are inside there too. Uh, combine the two areas, uh, three point and two point. And then you have the efficiency rating for every player and on your team. That's because, of course, points, rebounds, minus, turnovers, offensive fouls, etc. That's a really good uh, example to see how good your team functions. If you've got a low efficiency rating, like less than 75 average, then your team is not a really good team functioning like in offense or maybe making many turnovers or maybe making many fouls or not getting enough fouls to get to the free throw line. Then, of course, there are the possessions and the pace. If you have a team that, as a coaching staff, you want them to run a lot and have many possessions in a game, you know, in FIBA, in 40-minute games, everything after 75 positions per game is considered a fast-paced team. So you have a really a, a target to have that kind of team. And after three or four games to have a good, have a good sample, you have like 72 positions per game, then you're not getting there. You have really low positions as a team if you want to run. And you and after seeing that and you comparing the teams, because I use Excel spreadsheets and I take every every team's team, team total stats, and then I have uh, created a table to automatically make it per game and then another table to with all the, of course the formulas that have uh, copied from the advanced stats table i have found we have the advanced stats so i type like 73 points then there's an average and there is a advanced feature there like side by side and then before we play against the team i can see the, their pace their positions if they have higher than us then they like to run more than us. If they have lower, then maybe there's a half-court team sure. uh, mentality sure. there. Then there's the, something like called uh, the four factors. The four factors that that's the statisticians say that statisticians say that that's the four mainly factors to lead the team to win. Okay, that's the FT rate. FT rate it's like uh, dividing your field goals to point the three pointers together with a, with the free throws you take in every game. Not make, you take, you shot. So if you have low, you don't gain enough free throws. And that's a really big factor because free throw is, okay, the most efficient shot. Most teams in leagues have like 70, 75%. Maybe it's for only for one point, we'll know that, but it's a shot that you, you may mainly, mainly make as a team. So you need to focus on some things and see the opposing team you play next uh, next week, the their possession, their pace, uh, their offensive rebounding rate, their defensive rebounding rate, their assist rate, their field goal percentage rate. All this reveal a, a phase of the game that the basic stats don't reveal. Okay, we can see that 
a team scores like 10 three-pointers per game and they have 35%. Okay, so there is, that's a good, not, not really good, but good three-point team. We have to focus on some shooters. Hmm. But, how, uh, but how do they shoot the ball? How, how often do they shoot the ball? They, are they stable on that? Or they have like uh, one game 15 mates and the other game five mates. Okay, maybe maybe we should watch that game. They had only five mates. Maybe that team they played two, two weeks ago found a way to deny their shooters some shots or to contest them better. Maybe we copy their defense. Maybe so we borrow some ideas. So, so you need to focus on that. You always have to connect the stats. Yeah. Right? So a stats, the stats yes. as a confirmation of the video or vice versa, right? It depends on, on how you want It's how the Americans call the eye test. The eye test to, has to be confirmed by the stats. Uh, the stats is a really nice way to tell a lie. Like Diogo and me uh, <laughs> have eaten uh, two chickens. Okay. I have eaten both chickens and you didn't have any. <laughs> But if we divide by two, we have eaten one chicken per person. Yes. But that's a lie. You don't have eaten anything. So yeah. that's a really simplistic way to, to, to say it, okay? But if you want to, to, to go a step further, you need to accept that stats are just, you know, um, how do you say? We're, it's just a recording of the reality, of how a team plays. But there's an indication of how they will play. A team that plays set 80% of the time won't change and play a transition game more than 40% at the time because that's 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 their skill set that's the, what they can do and that's what they're best they're effective on half court so you have to be ready to uh, defend uh, on the half court uh, better because they want to target on that and you have to be ready to run more than you usually do because they're bad in transition game and vice versa with another team so you can see that on possessions on their efficiency You can see on the defensive stats, like which teams have many three-point shots taken against them. There's some teams that have maybe five or six per game three-point shots against them. Independently if they're made or not. That means they played pack, they play packed, or they play zone. So you have an idea before you see the video, okay, I'm going to see maybe one, two or three things. And most of the times, All these things are confirmed yeah. because that's a recording of the reality. Yeah, and uh, it's good to, to see and you know what to expect and you know where to target. Of course, the eye test confirms that. Sure, sure. No, and it's, it's a, I would say, because you mentioned that uh, about the video, I mean, it helps you to also save time because some things you can quickly, quickly, quickly confirm with the high test that, you know, If what you looked a little bit in three games corresponds to the stats, then you don't need to go for one more game in, in reality. And so but, yes, and now right. moving on to, to just uh, our last topic here, uh, because so we're talking about scouting, watching opponents. And I believe, I mean, it would be great to know if you agree with me, but from one perspective, I think defensive, your defensive philosophy has to be a little bit of what you want, what you want your players to improve at, that they are capable of, but at the same time, the league you play, you know, the opponents you play each week. So you have to make 
you know, a good combination of those two factors, right? Yes. One thing is the opponents, one thing is what you believe. So what is it after so many years of scouting and also coaching in different teams, what are your main priorities on, on defense? First of all, defense starts with a really, really big word that's called will. If you don't willing to play defense as a player, you won't play. And that doesn't have to do with uh, age or uh, the mentality in offense. It has to be like pride. I won't get beat by my player in a one-on-one situation. I'll always be there as a help defender on the weak side, on the top, or as a last defender to check on a dive, or on a rotation, an X-out X rotation, X-switch, or a jump switch to be there, to put my feet on the ground, to beat my body in front of the ball, that's a mentality. And you buy that. In the semi-pro and the pro level, you can recruit players that are ready to do that without getting any order from you. Just a clap. Yeah. Go. That's your, your, that's your, uh, your quality. That's your skill on defense. Go there and do it. That's, always, that's the only thing they want, to, they want to hear. But there are players that don't, will, that don't have the will to play defense in that level. So you have to bring that inside of them, outside of them. And that's the, the reason we do drills on defense and we do drills like defense, rotation, shell drills, and all that stuff. The first thing, of course, is to have players that want to play defense. And the second step is to communicate with each other. And that's the trickiest and the most difficult thing for a coach to establish on his team. That's independently if there's an advanced team, a pro team, a women's team, a girls team, a boys team. If you establish communication between your players on defense and they play hard most of the time, because all the time nobody can do that, okay? Even the top teams in Europe in the NBA that can do that. Then you have a team that will be ready to play in a game uh, with pride with poise, with toughness, and they're going to get many wins because a communication and defense bond players together to become a team. Many coaches have the illusion that if you have talented players, if they score a lot and they're happy because, of course, offense is happiness, is fun. I made a three-pointer, I made a dunk, I made a really nice back cut and I made a lap and we scored 20, 85 points per game. Wow, what a great team. This is great. I'm of, an offensive-minded coach. But defense is a prerequisite to have a team, a really serious team, not only to go for a championship season, but even if your team is targeting not to relegate, you need to have, have a solid defensive effort and communication. If you don't have that, regardless of the talent you have on offense, you're going to face problems. Because even if you score eight, 85 or 90 a game, then your opponents, if, even they are less talented than, than your players, they're going to score 85 to 90 points too. Believe me, I've seen that. I've been there. I have challenge to do that. It's really difficult because you have players that offensively minded and in defense they say, okay, I'll make like a 50 to 60% effort, but I won't bargain. I won't challenge my feet or my ankles or my knees to get hit and then go out injured and don't get like 20 points a game because that's my quality as a player, hmm. then you don't sacrifice for the team. You don't play for the team. 
So you have problems doing so. So the solid base for a, even for an offensive-minded coach is to have a solid defense. I'm not saying not working on offense. I'm not saying don't, don't have freedom for your place on offense. I'm not saying that. But you have to find balance. The illusion of controlling the offense by calling from the bench, horn side, uh, triangle and all that. Great stuff we want to. And I'm, 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 of course, you have seen my Twitter. I'm 70% posting offense. But 30% I'm posting defense. I'm posting some defensive ideas I find really, really interesting because offense is really easier to analyze than defense. Sure. If you try to analyze defensive clips, it's more difficult because you need to see how do they adapt, how do they switch, if they trap, they rotate, how do they communicate if a player in the back calls switch or something else. So it's really, really bigger as a challenge. Sure. And then I was going to, I'll, I'm going to throw you uh, uh, here a question with two options. So just on that, on that, on that defensive um, uh, side of, of the game, let's say, yeah. and well, let's assume that we are willing to play defense. So let's let's okay. discard that option. Okay. We, we that's the base. I couldn't I, yeah. I couldn't leave that behind. For for sure, for sure, and it makes all the sense. And and we cannot disregard that that as coaches. But I'll give you two options. So you are building your uh, defensive philosophies, your defensive yeah. coverages, and let's make it easier. We are playing. We are talking about pick and roll because all the teams okay. do that. So okay. if you only could choose one of two options, either you choose your coverages depending on the player. Let's say to make it easier on the ball handler. So yeah. it doesn't matter where he is on the court, but if it's Costas, you play drop. If it's Diogo, you play hatch, whatever. Okay. So that's how you can differentiate. And then the other option is you have to, you can only differentiate by the zone where it's played. So if it's a side pick and roll, you always do drop. Oh, okay. Or if okay. it's a middle, you always do edge, just as an example. So how, okay. which one, if you only could go with these two, what would you choose? Okay. I'll go with the second option as a rule, because in the preseason, you set the rules for your defense. And you say, on the side pick and roll, we're going to play ice. Or you're going to play this defense. On the top pick and roll, of course, we're always talking with the center. Okay. Because with the part four, you may gonna go with a switch or something like that for the center. Okay. On the, on the mid top pick and roll, we're going to play, let's say, flat or two versus two or drop. That's the same term for the same defense. A big guy playing just a foot uh, higher from the free throw line and the uh, ball handle defender setting him, forcing him on the screen and then going over the screen, not battling with the screen at all. That's the most common difference in basketball last 10 seasons. Then, if you have to face a special player next week, like a really good three-point pull-up shooter, then we're going to bring the, the big guy a foot a step higher, like playing high flat, not heads, like playing on the three-point line, like on the time of the screen, like having his outside arm on the ball for one or two slide steps to force the ball handler to not get the ball up for a shot and force him to keep the dribble or pass the ball to his next teammate. And then with the second guy from the low tag, from the weak side, or depending on where's the top, the top guy front, uh, we check the diver, we check the roller. And uh, so every most coaches in Greece do that. They 
they put the rules on the preseason, and when they face a special player, they may change a defense. If a really good slasher goes on really strong on his right, they may force him left, regardless of the zone. Or if he's left on the court, okay, let him go left and play high flat to prevent the drive. If he's on his right, though, force him left sure. and play like side. Yeah. So yeah. you can choose either of those, but I will say the thing I said just two minutes ago, it's all on the intensity of your players and especially on the pick and roll defense. Most coaches would say that it's the big, that it's the key to play high flat or heads and play with active hearts and energetic and all that. Or if he plays drop to contest a, a shot after one or two dribbles or to call a switch if the ball crosses free throw line. Okay, that's the rules we all know that apply. But I would say this, the most uh, important thing on pick and roll defense is the intensity of the ball handler's defender. If you press him enough to make him think twice about attacking the basket and making sidestep with a dribble and make him hesitant attacking the basket and making pass the ball only to his front or to his side, you have done 50% of the work for the defense. Okay. If he doesn't find the roller in the short roll on the, on the deep dive for a dunk, for an easy layup, if he doesn't find a skip pass or a pass on the back for a three-point shot, you have done 50% of the work. If you manage to do that as a coach, to, uh, to bring your players the intensity of the ball handler's defender to be 100%, press him, push him, force him, be a pest. You know, pest is like, you know, a cockroach, be, uh, like, a, like, a, like a rat. Be a pest on him, like be really annoying on him. After the game, he's going to curse you. Yeah. That's the intention you have, you have to bring on a really good pick and roll ball handler. That's half of the job done, believe me. I had players in the past that did that. Really short, quick guards like 173, 175, and D23. They did that and they did half the job. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a, as you said, so that annoyance ends up reducing more options. That's what you want to do, you know, tactically on five on five. But if you can do it one on one, that, that helps a lot. And so the great, great points there. I mean, so just to recap, your, your choice was B, B option, right? Uh, so B option, from... but when needed, you need to put an, a special difference for a special player. For sure. But so the priority first is about the spacing, how you, yes. uh, so about your rules, and that's how you defer the coverages. So I think that's yes. also a great point. And, uh, you know, it, for, for people listening, it also might, uh, be good for for people to reflect on on what you've been doing this this season. I mean, we have we've had three four months of of basketball basketball so far. So time to reflect now on, on Christmas time. Uh, yeah. So Costas, th thanks a lot for your time. I'll just so I think it's been really nice. Uh, I hope people enjoy it. I, I definitely did. Um, and and great points here. The time flew fast. I'll just uh, end up with with a question I do for for everyone uh, on the podcast. So because you mentioned, well, first of all, you are connected to the world through Twitter. Everyone <laughs> on basketball community knows you and your breakdowns. Uh, so thanks again for that. But so you're connected to the world and you said as well, through coaching, you have traveled the world a little bit. So what's something you've taken from abroad, from another country, from another culture? And you can answer these uh, either from a basketball perspective or anything for life, because it's never just basketball. 
First of all, uh, thank you for inviting me once again because you do a really good job in these podcasts. And uh, the whole thing with uh, interacting in the media, uh, Twitter or Facebook or any other or Instagram, is sharing ideas, interacting. And when I find some interesting posts from other coaches, I always retweet and maybe with a comment and or, or maybe comment on that with agreement or disagreement because that's the whole point to to to, to take it in a discussion, have some ideas to modify, maybe using it for your team, maybe next season, and etc. So uh, I have been blessed to travel to Spain several times, not only for basketball, but for vacation too. <laughs> but wherever I go, I, I try to find basketball opportunities. Maybe a seminar, maybe a clinic, maybe to watch a game, simply things. Uh, I have been to the States once for two weeks, back in 2019. To attend some practices for for of NCAA and NBA programs, the thing I get a lot a lot from the abroad, predominantly from Spain, it's that you have to listen to your players and let your players play the game, and not overcoach them. That's a, a rule I have to to give credit and to be ready to do in offense mostly and less on defense because. As coaches need to control the defense more in preparation, in preparation for the game, for the precision and all that, and then apply the rules and force our players to apply the rules to have solid teams, in the, depend, uh, regardless of the target of, the, of our team each season. Then, for a team to have an identity, you have to be in communication with your best players, what the team needs, if something is wrong in their relationships. These things that gets overlooked sometimes in the in the in some teams and some levels so i need to, to speak that you know loudly speak with your players communicate with your players give credit to your players coach them uh, of course hold them accountable especially if they are pro or semi pro and they get paid a lot you have to hold them accountable because that's the way they're going to force the good habits out of them and not the bad habits and uh, be ready to face new challenges every time because there's no easy game there's no okay this team has like one win and seven losses okay maybe we'll play like 50% we're going to win no there's no six like that there's no things like that in the basketball you have to play and you play well and you play as a team and you play tough and you play with a team spirit in offense and defense you're going to win yeah. that's the whole process for me as a coach in my mind For me, the most difficult games in a season are against teams that have a losing record, have a bad reputation of a team, like a bad demands, because your best players are not going to be 100% mentally there. You have to force them and to convince them you have to play. Yeah, no, the really great points, and this just made me realize. I mean, for sure, so... You, you are a scouting guy, you said analytic, uh, an analytical guy as well, and, and uh, you know, like advanced stats a lot. And even though you like all those things and, and most of your job is maybe, or a, a big part of your job is on the laptop, then the, still the basic stuff is um, relationship management, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I said that in the intro of the podcast. All the scouting process and analytics process, advanced stats and all that, are about 20% at the most of a win of a game, to win a game. 
the 80% is the preparation for the game on the court, the communication with your players, and then the, the game management. Sure. Because you have made, I have made uh, in the past uh, perfect scouting reports. I have uh, st- have uh, stacked on the locker room like four days before individual stats and tendencies of the opposing ten opposing players, full roster, their stats. I have stacked three of their most plays. We have shown three videos and we lost by ten. And then, because our head coach was stubborn, he said we only saw one video clip of the of the plays, one of the plays, no papers for the players, and one by twenty. Why? Because their players were forced to play with more toughness, more energy, offensive defense, and more of a team spirit. Yeah. And that's the most important thing for a coach to do. Rick Pitino once said that in this age. With the technology and everything, with synergy, advanced stats, most coaches have have uh, the opinion that that's coaching. That's not coaching. That's a part of coaching, a small part of coaching. And I do that as a full-time job. And I'm telling you, <laughs> don't have the illusion that it's only that. It's a, it's, a, it's a really good part. And you learn the game as a coach. You learn offensive philosophy of other coaches. You learn tendencies of players. You're ready to be assigned as in a new team to find a better contract in a season because you know the market of the players. You should, I get calls from coaches all the time. Uh, uh, this player is good for equipment. I need a good shooter. And I say yes or no for my proper experience, my, my opinion. I don't want to, to, to harm the player, of course, find the contract. But I have to be honest. He's a good shooter. Okay, get him. Or not that efficient. Uh, try to find someone else because I see that in game film and in stats. So they, they trust my opinion about that. Sure. So you have to be ready to challenge everyday practice on the court and challenge the, the fact that if you have a coaching staff, three people that making decisions on a laptop and on a paper with fast draw and everything, that's not, that's, that's not going to be on the court with the players. The players are going to follow some instructions, but they want to play with team spirit and they want to play for the team. If they put their ego above of the team, they don't want to execute anything of your instructions. And that's not a team. For then sure. you lose the game. <laughs> well, Costas, thanks. Thank you very much for, for your time. Uh, for anyone still listening, uh, please give feedback. I hope you enjoyed uh, this podcast and, and the, the, the other ones that are coming in December. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Costas. Thank you, thank you for thank you, listening. And have a good Christmas, guys.